From Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal, and this is a Vine Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 crisis is impacting all parts of the alcohol business, as well as to help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Esther Mobley, wine critic at the San Francisco Chronicle. Esther, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here, Zach. Thanks. And I should mention uh, a returning guest. Uh, we had you on on the Vine Pair podcast back in, I think, maybe, maybe back in 2018 in a like what feels like another lifetime. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> so, Esther, I wanted to start by asking you, um, because I think this is a question that's been going around Vine Pair and, and a lot of people's uh, minds. You know, with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and now the lockdown that's in place in California, um, how is how are you seeing this affect wineries, first and foremost, in California? I mean, besides the sort of obvious that they're no longer, you know, operating tasting rooms, as far as I know. But but from a from a, you know, kind of consumer oriented standpoint, are, are they still selling wine or are, are people still buying wine? How, how's that going? Yes. Um, wineries are still selling wine. People are still buying wine. The situation is changing here every day, as I'm sure it is in Washington and throughout the country. Um, About a week ago, I was trying to take a pulse on how uh, tasting rooms in California were doing, well, more than a week ago, but, um, and everyone was saying, we're doing fine. You know, the corporate... um, Groups that they normally would be hosting, the companies had all canceled business travel. But um, in terms of just day-to-day visitation, um, that seemed to be really healthy. And within a few days of that story going out, Governor Gavin Newsom um, ordered all tasting rooms throughout California to shut down to the public. Um, Now, that wasn't actually enforceable. That was on Sunday. Um, And a lot of wine, you know, uh, most wineries, I think, complied, but uh, they technically didn't have to. And then within a few days of that, the Bay Area, um, various counties within the Bay Area started instating shelter in place orders, um, meaning that only essential businesses could remain operational. And that effectively closed down uh, all tasting rooms. Wineries and vineyards are considered essential under these orders. So wineries and vineyards are still allowed to be like in production right now. Um, A lot of different businesses have interpreted that really differently though. So um, some are closing, others aren't. Vineyards are a different story from wineries. Um, But the short answer is that uh, wineries are more eager than ever to sell their wine since tasting rooms, which represent a really enormous uh, revenue stream for small wineries, especially um, are closed right now. Restaurants are closed right now. So they're not selling wine through restaurants and um, they're, they're just hoping basically to build out e-commerce sales from their website, which Rob McMillan of Silicon Valley bank was telling me, only represents about 3% currently of the average small wineries sales. So that's something people are really going to have to figure out. And, and to that question of sort of how how to get wine or, or other beverages from from producer to um, to consumer, are, are you seeing anything changing? Is there Has there been some innovation? I mean, obviously, you know, you can't uh, at the moment walk into a 
well, I don't know. Maybe you can't. Maybe maybe wine shops and liquor stores are, are allowed to be operational. I, I don't I don't know if that's the case in California. De- definitely around the country, it's sort of different depending on where you are. But but obviously, a lot of people are not interested in that kind of shopping. Maybe they're buying stuff at the grocery store. But but how are how are people in the Bay Area in particular? How are they getting you know beer, wine, spirits um, at the moment? few different ways. So um, one is from ordering directly from wineries. And of course, that's how a lot of wineries would love for people to order since um, they get a much higher uh, margin that way. And, you know, Zach, you may, you may have noticed this too. I think a lot of people don't realize how expensive it is to ship wine. I mean, um, (laughs) yeah. If you're ordering wine directly from a winery, you might be really shocked to then see that the shipping cost is as much as $50 for a case sometimes. And so um, one thing that we've just seen happening uh, in droves over the last week is wineries slashing that shipping cost. Um, they're shipping for like, I've you know, one winery shipping for one cent. I've seen $5 shipping rates. And then quite a lot of wineries are offering shipping costs just included in the cost of the wine. So um, that's happening a lot as a way to try to incentivize people to buy. And then, yes. um, So grocery stores are open, as you know, and um, uh, Safeway, Costco is a way that a lot of folks are getting their wine. Um, I've been trying to disseminate, especially through my social media channels, that um, you could definitely buy wine that way, but that's not where you're going to find the more exciting, independent, uh, smaller production types of wines. And wine shops in the Bay Area remain open. They're just not allowed to have um, like in-person sales. So they're doing pickup and delivery orders. And there's a lot of, you know, every shop's doing it a little bit differently. Some people are doing free delivery within a certain radius of the shop. Others are charging some kind of a fee. For a lot of them, there's a minimum order value um, that you have to meet if you want the free delivery. But they're really trying to do their best to make it so that people can get wine. Um, and then sh- uh, switching gears just a little bit, because obviously a-, a huge part of the story in all this has been and and will remain, you know, the tremendous effect that all these closures and lockdown are having on the restaurant and, and bar scene in um, everywhere, really, at this point, but certainly in places like um the Bay Area that have been shut down for even longer than some other parts of the country. It's it's too big of a question to answer in in anything like a comprehensive sense. But but what have you gotten the 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 sense of that people who are out of work are are doing or and or what can um, can people do to kind of try and support those people uh, with the understanding obviously that you know the bulk of support is is going to have to come from government sources. It's not going to come from individuals. But but is there stuff out there that you want to um, highlight for for people for listeners who might be interested in helping out? Yeah, um, the the blow to the restaurant bar world to the whole service industry and to service workers has been tremendous here, as in many other parts of the country. Um, And um, my colleague, Justin Phillips, in the Chronicles Food Department had a big story out today about um, how there have just been mass layoffs of restaurant workers. Um, You know, I think in a lot of cases, the the you know, if you're laid off, you're you get access to um, unemployment benefits. And for a lot of workers who rely on tips, um, that might be the preferable 
uh, way to go through right now. And, you know, maybe in a lot of cases, their jobs will uh, be waiting for them when this all subsides. But we've also heard of a number of wine, uh, excuse me, restaurants that might just now be closing permanently, which is really sad. One way that um, you can support these restaurants and their workers and the communities that love them is by ordering takeout and delivery. Um, They're all allowed to be doing that right now, and they're trying to really build that into a big business. Another is to buy gift cards. Um, I there's a there's a little brew pub in our neighborhood here in San Francisco that um, my fiance and I go to almost every week, and we we're buying gift cards there just to give them some kind of revenue now. And there's no question we'll use it very quickly once they reopen. Cool. And, and kind of on that note or a little bit lighter note, I guess, um, since you are, um, you know, essentially housebound, uh, like the rest of us <laughs> and, uh, but also of course have the, the, the benefit of maybe having uh, had some sort of uh, supply or of uh, stock of wine or other beverages. What are you What are you drinking yourself these days? What What have you had lately that you found particularly interesting or, or tasty? I I think I'm drinking more than is typical for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true since, for most of us. Yeah, since I've been housebound, um, I've been making myself a lot of little cocktails at home. Um, I have a lot of, I, I kind of keep a lot of utilitarian sparkling wine in the fridge at all times. And I have a soda stream. So I like to make spritzes. That's my little like aperitif at the end of the workday. Um, one base for that, that I love is the mom and pop vermouths. Um, the brand mom and pop is, um, run by the folks who have Poe, P-O-E winery in Napa, and they make these amazing fruit-based vermouths. Um, uh, one is based on orange, one on blood orange, one on grapefruit, and that with a little bit of sparkling wine and a splash of soda water is amazing. But, um, I mean, you can basically do that with any kind of aperitivo liqueur, amaro, vermouth. You just want something that's a little bit bitter. And then I've certainly been opening a lot of wine. Um, last night I opened a Frog's Leap Rutherford, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon that was really great with my meal of pasta and meatballs. Probably a lot of people are eating, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of that pasta. <laughs> similar to that right now. Um, I opened the night before last a bottle of Fields Family Vermentino. Um, that's a winery in Lodi that makes really, really great. Uh, well, they make a lot of great things, but I really love their white wines. They do a lot of those kind of Southern France, warmer climate whites that um, are still really crisp and delicious, made, grown in the warm climate of the Central Valley over there. Um, and, uh, those have been the highlights of the week. I'm, I am in a fortunate place where I'm redirecting a lot of my wine samples to be delivered to my house. You know, normally I can't do that because there's no one here during the day to sign for it. If you have to be over 21, but, um, we've got nothing but time at home (laughs) (laughs) right now. Um, and then I guess I actually have one last question for you too, which is uh, sort of on the topic of of this change to your work life and your workflow. Um, how how has at least in this uh, these last couple of weeks, how has your job changed besides obviously the the reality of working from home and and if you're interviewing people, it's you know I assume exclusively over the phone or the internet. How 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 has like your approach to what you do in, in covering wine uh, changed? It's changing every day. Last week it 
didn't feel like the coronavirus was really in affecting my beat that much. I kind of felt like I was watching in awe as my colleagues at the San Francisco Chronicle covered the unfolding pandemic. And really in the last six days, that's completely changed as we've seen this huge impact to the wine industry, to how people are able to experience their own communities during the shelter in place. And everyone's wondering, how am I going to get food? How am I going to get alcohol? Kind of what um, semblances of normal life can I get? So suddenly now there's a lot to do. I've um, it's kind of an all hands on deck situation at the Chronicle. And I've been pulled into some non wine reporting this week, which I've been thrilled to be able to help out with. Um, but my beat has a lot going on. I mean, for instance, um, just before we started chatting, I filed a story, the California ABC, our department of alcoholic beverage control last night, just announced some pretty dramatic, um, relaxations of their regulations to make it easier for bars and restaurants and stores to keep doing business during this time with alcohol. So for instance, now um, bars can sell cocktails to go. They can even deliver them. Um, Everyone can do drive-through alcohol pickup. Um, There's some other stuff that's going to definitely affect the industry a lot, like um, retailers are going to be allowed to return uh, alcohol to wholesalers. Retailers can buy from other retailers and from restaurants. So um, it's really just changing kind of before our eyes in real time right now. Yeah. And I would say that um, one thing that I've noticed in in looking at the state of the industry broadly, and, and you you highlight a lot of it is one slight silver lining in my eyes for this is I sincerely hope that this causes a lot of different states to modernize their liquor laws because so many of them are these kind of ridiculous patchwork of of antiquated laws and restrictions that date back to the end of prohibition and and no one prior to this really cared enough to put much effort into it it wasn't a priority and and now that basically the only way for most people to get any kind of um, you know alcohol is to have it delivered or to go pick it up via drive through or something like that it is it highlights how how silly it is that all these rules are you know have existed that are just you know again just kind of these artifacts of a different era you know that were laws that were written in the 1930s that that just don't make any sense now yeah i think you're right this might be exactly the kind of crisis that forces a kind of reconsideration of those and um i think that would that would certainly be welcome to the wine and other alcohol industries but also to consumers for sure well, Esther, I want to thank you so much for your time and for coming back on the podcast. And um, we will probably check back in with you uh, over the, I don't know, next month or two to see how things are unfolding and maybe get a better sense when you have a, a chance to assess how how the vintage is coming along. Um, because I think for all of us, 20, the 2020 vintage is going to be a memorable one, uh, kind of no matter how the wines turn out, just because of, of what we'll all have lived through. Um, but it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's fascinating and, and terrifying all at once. And, and I thank you for sharing some time with us. Thanks. I'm happy to talk and I hope you stay safe and healthy. Yeah, same to you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate us or review us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. Now for the credits. The Vine Pair Podcast is produced by myself and Zach Jabal and is engineered by Nick Patrie. We're recorded out of Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington, and also in our New York City headquarters. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair staff who help us conceive of the show every single week. Thanks again for listening.